Shri Bhagavan Uvacha idam tu te guyatamam pratvaks yam yanasu yave yanam vigyanam sahitam yajnatva moks yase subat. Supreme Personality of Godhead said, My dear Arjuna, because you are never envious of me, I shall impart to you this most confidential knowledge and realization, knowing which you shall be relieved of the miseries of material existence. I was born in the darkness of ignorance, but my spiritual master has opened my eyes with the torch light of knowledge. I offer my most respectful obeisances unto him. Uh, we begin the ninth chapter of uh, Bhagavad Gita. And in the beginning of this chapter, Krishna is put, putting forth to Arjuna the characteristics that he has that make him eligible to understand this most confidential knowledge. And as uh, pointed out in the purport we just read, the knowledge of Bhagavad Gita, the whole text, is, is confidential. Uh, in that just understanding uh, the true spiritual nature of the living entity, of ourself, that in and of itself is confidential. Very few people understand the fact that uh, they're not the body, which is the very preliminary stage of a spiritual understanding. And if you really look, if you look even, I look back to my own knowledge and education of religion growing up, before I was uh, fortunate enough as, uh, as to come in contact with Bhagavad Gita and, and the teachings of uh, Krishna's pure devotees, although the knowledge is there, I mean, I, I, I think most, most of us grew up in, uh, with uh, some uh, affiliation with uh, uh, Christianity, and all the, under, the understanding is there that Lord Jesus is a very special spiritual personality who could uh, walk on water and, and uh, uh, perform mystic opulences and feed many people with a loaf of bread and a couple fish, uh, who could uh, endure the tortures of uh, crucifixion and uh, in the end rise from the dead, proving that he was not his material body, that he was spiritual in essence. The knowledge was rather shallow in that well, this is Lord Jesus. This is the Son of God. He can do these things, but you are not the Son of God. He's the special Son of God. And, and he has these special characteristics because, well, he is God in that the purpose is the same. Or the understanding is there that Jesus is himself the Supreme Personality. That's all right, but when we look at that education that we receive, in that, in that school of thought, it's not really brought out that we ourselves, our true nature is fully spiritual and that we're not this material body. When we look at the teachings of Bhagavad Gita from the very beginning, it's more confidential knowledge that is generally available to, to humanity at large as far as what is the nature of matter and what is the nature of spirit and the distinction between the two, uh, what to speak of 
true position of the Lord and our relationship with him, that intimate relationship. So Bhagavad Gita begins and we have some, some initial knowledge of Krishna immediately begins to tell Arjuna, don't be a fool. Understand that you can't kill anybody, that the body is, is temporary. It's going to end. Everybody's body's end. We see this around us, but we think, and there's certainly the, ma- the vast majority of people in society feel when the body's finished, it's all finished. Or the body's finished and you either go to this destination or that destination based on your activities in this one life. All the teachings of Bhagavad Gita are confidential because they're coming from the highest platform of spiritual understanding which is made available by the Lord himself uh, when he does manifest uh, in society. Um, So... He explained in the fourth chapter that this knowledge is there and he continually tries to impart it uh, to humanity at large. But over the course of time, it becomes, it becomes polluted with, with the consciousness of, of conditional life, of materialistic life. He has to come again. So now he's coming again. He's giving Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna. He says, first I gave this knowledge to the, to the sun god, Vivishwan, who passed it down to his, you know, to his son and disciple. And it comes through Manu. Now this chapter, Bhagavad Gita, ninth chapter. Krishna is speaking to Arjuna. He's saying, you have a qualification which is going to allow you to understand the most, this most confidential, the very essence of Bhagavad Gita. I'm going to tell you things about myself that you can understand because you don't hold any envy. You don't envy me as the Supreme Lord. Generally, all of us here, we are renegades. We've, we've come here of our own volition uh, to enjoy independent of God. And there, there is some naturally... This existence, this material existence has, has come about due to an envious nature. So because of our envy, we wanted to be God or we want to live and enjoy like God. Because of that, he gives us a playground. Perfect arrangement. What is that qualification? Anusuya ve, anusuya, free from envy. So we notice that that word at the end of the second line of the verse. Pratvaksyam anasuyave. To the non-envious, they can attain this higher level of understanding. Also, Krishna mentions that this knowledge is, and Prabhupada points out in the purport, that this particular knowledge, what is its characteristic? What is that specific characteristic? This is not a scholarly undertaking. It's not only just knowledge. We notice in the, in the third line, jnana, but also vijnana. Jnana means knowledge. Knowledge we can get at, the, at, the, at, at any school, at any university. Uh, you can get some knowledge of how things work. But vijnana is a higher level of understanding 
which is realized. We actually experience. And when you actually experience something, then you truly have full knowledge of it. Let's take for a, let's just take any example, a wild example. Let us say that you are uh, your dwelling entirely is is. Prabhupada often uses the the now uh, the small story of a, a frog in a well. His knowledge his knowledge is limited to that the confines of his environment, the well. So he's knowledgeable. Well, here's. Here's a body of water, and I dive in it, and I dive out of it, and I raise my family in it, and I have full—I have knowledge, experiential knowledge, of this particular environment. Now we can go to Mr. Frog in the Well, and we can explain. Well, you are thinking this is a great body of water, but it's actually a very small, insignificant body of water, because in comparison. With the ocean, this is, this is completely insignificant. Your body of water, which you're thinking is so great, is insignificant in comparison to an ocean. With a, for the frog, that's going to be very difficult. His experiential knowledge he has is of his limited environment. So similarly with ourselves. We can be told but from authority or from different Shastra, different religious traditions, we can be told of what is God. What is God like? Well, he's the controller of everything. He's the uh, loving father. He, he provides everything. You need to pray for him daily for your food. You need to pray for him nightly that you wake up the next day. You need to pray for him that he keeps your family intact and everybody's safe and secure. And he, prepare, and he does all these things for you. You need to pray for him if your relative has died so that you can make sure that they receive a good destination in their next life or in their future, whatever the future arrangement is. So you can hear this knowledge about God, that he is the most powerful, that he's the uh, omnipotent, omnipotent, present individual who knows everything, who knows your heart, you can hear these things, and that's knowledge of God. But experiential knowledge will, is really what brings the message home, does it not? No matter what the field of education is. Talk religion, talk about the, the frog in the well, talk about the, you know, uh, going to school, uh, talk about, uh, you know, your nursing professions. We have two people taking... You, you can go and you can read all about the book. You can read it. You can learn it. The professor, the person that's practiced medicine can tell you all about it. But when the gurney is rolled in and the, and the, and the body is slid open, you can see, well, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the vein they were talking about, the one that's gushing all the blood there. Then that's... That's real knowledge, is it not? You know, ah, yes. Now I can see where that vein is. I can see if I don't do something about it, he's done real soon. Yes? So that's, that's an experience. Similarly, we can have experience of God. We can hear about God, but now Krishna says, now here is a process. Here in this ninth chapter, let's get to this most confidential knowledge of me so you can experience 
You can experience my potency. And you have a qualification that affords you this opportunity, Arjuna. You're not envious. So if we also want to enter into this most confidential knowledge of what is Krishna, what's the Lord all about, what is the spiritual world, what is the, what is the platform of pure devotional service. Now that's the specific significance of this ninth chapter, as Prabhupada points out. The other chapters are there and they're giving us knowledge of what is matter and what is spirit, what, is the, what are the modes of material nature, what is the activities of karma, and how does that affect us, what happens to those people who are, those? what kind of people approach God, what kind of people reject God, all this general knowledge Krishna has given us up coming up to this chapter, this ninth chapter. Now he's speaking, what? Guyatamam, the most confidential, the heart of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna's heart, what Krishna feels in relationship to us as his eternal parts and parcels. That loving relationship, how we can experience it, how the knowledge becomes goes beyond jnana to vijnana, experiential knowledge. How can we get this most confidential knowledge in a way that it truly touches our heart? That's the ninth chapter. Yes, sir. I mean, <clears throat> this line here, you know, this, to me, this this envy, basically. I mean, is it? I mean, it's referring back to this disease that we want to be God. Is that right? I mean, is that really what it's speaking about, or is it? Something different. Basically, what we're talking about is what brings about envy is our desire to exploit. We notice that all those great saints and sages and devotees of the Lord, they have no desire to exploit. When we look to the material world, everyone here on this plane of existence. What is their characteristic? Exploitation. What is the characteristic of everybody that's, that we hear about that's on the spiritual plane and that we experience when they come and, they, and they, they come amongst us? How do they act? There's not one tinge of a desire for exploitation. Anytime we see anything and we don't see it in relationship with the Supreme Lord. We don't see it as the Lord's energy. We see it as something independent of God. And if it's independent of God, well, then it's fair game, right? Oh, the, as soon as we're thinking anything is independent of God, then immediately it becomes, it can become subject to my exploitation. If we see everything in relationship to God and God's a supreme proprietor, then what is the question of, of my exploitation? It's here for Krishna's pleasure. And as soon as we see everything in relationship to Krishna, that everything's for his pleasure, including our existence, then we're 100% Krishna conscious. So envy is that position where 
we see something independent of Krishna. And therefore, fair gain, gain for our exploitation. And because of that, then, then everything becomes spoiled. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Because you are never envious of me, I shall impart to you this most confidential knowledge. So now, in this ninth chapter, Krishna is going to speak about pure, unalloyed devotional service, about his spiritual characteristics, mm. knowing which you should be relieved from the miseries of material existence. Wow. Just knowing Krishna's, these confidential topics of pure devotion, as we said, all the chapters leading up to this, Krishna is talking about different levels of understanding of yoga, of karmic activity, of the modes of material nature, of acting in a way to, to, to bring one to the platform of goodness, because unless someone's at the platform of goodness, what's the question of understanding spiritual subject matter? So now, what is the, the... Krishna speaks immediately, the beginning of the chapter. This is the benediction that you receive just by having this transcendental knowledge. The miseries of material existence are immediately dissipated. Now this is, this is also brought forth by Srila Rupa Goswami, when he speaks of the characteristics of pure devotional service and the nectar of devotion, those characteristics, the beginning of all auspiciousness and immediate relief from the modes of material nature. No more suffering. And you guys say, well, wait, what am I, I see devotees of Krishna. They're living in this world that appears to me that they're not all happy campers. They're experiencing life just like others. No, the difference is they're not experiencing life just like others. We may perceive them as such, but the fact of the matter is, even if there's still some tinge of contamination due to contact with the modes of material nature, they are on the right path. They are becoming purified. And because they're on that path, the miseries are dissipating. Just like if I have a disease and I go to the doctor. So I go to the doctor and what I have, let's, let's just go all, I have, the, I have cancer, I'm going to die. Everything's, everybody, everything's going against me. Life will soon come to an end. But as soon as I go to the doctor, he says, I think we can, we can resolve this situation. Now, he may prescribe a change of diet. He's going to prescribe some medicine. Uh, he probably was going to describe some ridiculous treatment. But, uh, you know, be that as it may, the point is, he's going to try to rectify the situation. The medicine he gives may be so strong that we lose our hair and we can't eat. <laughs> yeah? It's so difficult in the beginning. I have this disease that's going to take my life. Well, we have a disease that's already taken our spiritual life. It's called material existence. It's called envy. It's called exploitation. Similarly, 
Let's say we have this disease, cancer, and we go to the doctor and he prescribes, okay, you can't eat this and this. Here's some strong medicine. If we're lucky, we go to a, to a doctor who's not going to put us, give us some extremely obnoxious uh, chemotherapy. But it also works in some instances, does it not? And the, and the disease abates. But when we first take the medicine, very strong medicine, very serious disease. Natural, there's, naturally, there may be some strong reaction. So similarly, in the beginning, we take to the process of pure, pure devotional service. Not mixed devotional service. Not that we simply give God some lip service. But we're serious. Krishna knows our mind. He knows our heart. Prabhupada speaks in the purport about that. Krishna knows the sincerity of someone who is approaching him. So if we're serious, yes, there may be some reaction, trying to pull out of material existence, trying to give up the exploitative mentality. It may be difficult. But just because we're on the path of devotional service, immediately just having knowledge of our true spiritual nature, having knowledge that we're not this body, having knowledge that the miseries of this body have nothing to do with my true self, they're going to come and go. Krishna is recommended in the beginning of Bhagavad Gita. Just don't pay any attention to it. Go on. Do your life. Do your service. Heat and cold's going to come. Pain, happiness, distress. These things are going to come. But have transcendental knowledge and eventually, gradually, these symptoms of your disease will abate. And once you come to the platform where there is no tinge, and that's why this chapter is, the, is speaking most confidential. And Krishna is speaking at the very beginning of this chapter. When you come to this platform of service, pure, unavoid devotional service, immediately you've risen to the platform where there is no more miseries for material existence. Wow. You have already, you have, the disease has fallen away to such an extent that you now know that there's nothing else for me except serving Krishna unconditionally. Now, if we go on to the next verse, Rajavijurajaguyam pavitramidam utamam, Pratyaksa vagamam dharmyam sasukam kartum avyayam sasukam very happy we become happy when we know this knowledge raja vidya king of education most secret of all secrets most confidential that's why i like this verse so much if you were to meet somebody and say they say well what what's what's what distinguishes Bhagavad Gita from any other scripture of the world. What makes it so special? This verse summer, sums it up. Raja Vidya. Raja. Raja. King. The Raj. The guy that's, I mean, nothing, nothing no one is higher than the king when we look at the, at the, the a kingdom of man. Raja. The Raj. He rides on the grand elephant. Everyone comes into his chambers, bows down and offers their service or their tax, their remittance, whatever. The respect is there. 
So that king of knowledge, that's pure devotional service. Raja Vidya, Raja Guyam, most confidential. This is not five and dime store religion. This is the real deal. This is the most confidential knowledge of who you are and who the Supreme Lord is. Pavitram, Itam, Uttamam. The purest transcendental, Uttama, purest. Pavitram, purest, and it is transcendental. It is not affected by Krishna's external energy. It's all on the spiritual platform. Pratyaksa, again, that same word is in the first verse. Experiential knowledge. When we chant Hare Krishna, we experience Krishna. Krishna and his name are non-different. When we have kirtan, we experience Krishna. Maybe tears are not flowing from our eyes. Maybe we're not experiencing the highest transcendental ecstasy due to our material conditioning. But we know underneath, there are those pure devotees that when they are sitting in kirtan, they have purified themselves to where the tears are flowing from their eyes. Their voice is faltering. Their body is erupting in pleasure. When we hear something very far out, we, you know, it's like, wow, I felt that. They start just telling me always, all the time. Oh, it's giving me goosebumps just to hear about this. Um, Dharmyam, Dharma, understood as the, the supreme Dharma, and it's everlasting. It's never going to fall away. Once we're on this path, this is the path that's going to take us to the full perfection of our existence. Our material existence will eventually abate entirely. Mm. So it's, it's eternal. Our position is eternal. This knowledge is eternal. The process of pure devotional service is eternal. Now in the very long purport, if you read it to the second verse, Prabhupada points out that there are, there are, different, there are different levels of devotees. And what's very key to coming to this most confidential knowledge is our level of faith. Our level of faith determines our level of appreciation of transcendental knowledge. If we have little faith, then we're on the, bo the, the bottom-most platform. And that means that we, when, we experience, when we get out of our religious practice, our petty aspiration, when I say petty aspiration, I mean we still have exploitive mentality. God, please make my disease go away. Now I have the cancer. Now I'm praying to you. I know I didn't pray to you my whole life, but now they've told me I have cancer. Can you cure me? Because I know you can cure me. You're the one that can really cure me. So yes, you pray to God, he says, okay. He may say okay, he may say not, but if he says okay, then you get cured, then maybe the interest in God, it, 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 it wanes. God, please give me a beautiful wife. God, please give me beautiful children. Please save my children. 
Please let my children go up healthy and wealthy and wise. Make them good students. Make them choose the right man. <clears throat> so, <laughs> we may have these prayers. <laughs> and if, if they're answered, then that's good. But our faith is only in that exploitive mentality. Give me this. And once that's provided, then maybe the interest in religious practice may wane. This knowledge in this chapter is pure devotional service above those conditional exploitive tendencies that we may even apply to a relationship with the Supreme Lord. We apply them to everything else in this world. Sometimes we even approach religion. We even approach God with this exploitive mentality. That's okay. Better to go to him than anybody else, isn't it? So that's explained in, in Srimad Bhagavatam. That akarma sarva karma va moksa karma udharadi. Akarma sarva karma va. If you're full of all desire, if you have no desire whatsoever, whatever your position is, due to your conditioning or your condition or your situation within this material world, no matter what that position, still you go to Krishna. If you're full of desire and you want it all, well, go to God. Who else could give it all to you? Yes, sir. But the question is, it seems like a lot of people, you know, I've seen this happen personally in my own life, people, they ask things from God and when he doesn't give it to them, then they just reject. They become agnostic, yes. Yeah. Now, there's no God. Yeah, you didn't give yes. me what I want, so I don't like you anymore, and I'm going to my own. Yeah, I mean, yes. Yeah. Yes. I, have that, I had that experience in my early life. Uh, my mother had uh, her husband taken from her uh, when I was only six months old. Now, prior to this, she was a church gone. Of course, I was young at the time, but, uh, you know, I heard back. She never missed church there every week. All of a sudden, her husband's taken away. She's left with a six-month-old child. Where's God in this? How can you, how, why have you forsaken me? Just like Lord Jesus. Why, what, you, you're going to let them do this to me? Why are you forsaking me? I've given my whole life to you. Now, Jesus is a different person. Jesus is on a higher platform, but still, he's even hit by this. Yes? This, this, this point of, of why is God treating me in this way? Well, Krishna first, Bhagavad Gita, even the most, the less confidential portions of Bhagavad Gita. No, don't be affected by anything in this world. Everything that you will experience in this world is temporary. You'll never find happiness here. You'll never find happiness. So if I hadn't taken your husband and he'd still be with you, eventually one of the two of you are going to kick the bucket first. Somebody's got to be left holding an empty bucket. Huh? So that's the nature of this material world. But yes, you're right. But Krishna is going to go on. And it's, 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 you're pointing out something you're going to see in the next verses. 
What does Krishna make very clear to Arjuna? Although this material universe is flowing from my energy, although everything here is coming from me ultimately, I am not affected by it. I don't have any direct involvement in it. I've created it for your... This is your place. This is the place where you can exploit. If your mentality is to exploit here, this is your place. I have no connection with your exploitive mentality. I'm simply giving you facility. Once you turn around and look to me and want to give up that mentality and want to again resume your loving relationship with me, our harmonious relationship, which is based on giving, not taking. Once that is there, once you turn your eye, then the miseries of material existence, as pointed out in these verses, immediately abate. They're gone. And you can say, well, what do you mean immediately? Immediately when we come to the platform of pure devotional service. That means there's no tinge of exploitation. Unfortunately, generally, because of our disease, we have to go through a period of purification where the disease is removed from our mentality, from our heart. Sheto darpanamarjanam. And that period of anartha nivriti, as the bad habits fall away, there's still some influence of the disease. But we should know that those influences are, are abating. They all are going away. So it's like it's the reaction of the karma, you know, that's what the, the disease is. Yes, you unplug the fan. If we unplug the fan, the blades are still turning for some time. Like how does a, you know, like, how does an ant create... No, 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 no. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. In other words, what are the sinful reactions for someone who is not, does not have the independence to control his actions? Okay. Those, generally, those living entities in that situation are not in the human form of life. Okay, so, therefore, there's actually no reaction for them. Basically, let's say if, if, if we have performed some greatly sinful activity and we've fallen, in, we've fallen from the human form of life into lower species of life. So from there, once we're in that situation, it's more or less automatic, depending on how far down you go. So do you progress just sort of... Just like evolution. Automatically. Yeah, you go from one species to another. Then you will reach, uh, there's actually three gateways back into human life. Uh, but you can't fall back. You can't fall no, back. No, 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 no. Because you have no independence, you don't have any independence to perform, uh, you know, a conscious sinful act. There's no right. sankalpa, there's no intent. Right. When a dog bites you, it does not like, oh, I'm going to get, you know. <laughs> it's, it's natural. It's a natural reaction. Natural uh, so no, there's no no sinful reactions. They're already suffering sinful reaction by their by the existence that they have. 
in the lower species of life. They don't, they don't perform additional sinful acts. Only when we come to this form of life do we have the independent, independence to make the wrong choices. Yeah. Prior to that, it's fully, we're fully under the control of the modes of material nature. But at what age do we start making like, you know, like wrong choices and then we're responsible? Mm, I'm trying to think. What is it? The child is, is free from sin up to what age? Isn't it 13? Is it? It was younger, but then that one great sage changed it. Mm. I don't even remember that story. There's some boy, he, he was messing around and a little insect. And oh, yes, and yes. Hit it, you know, kind of killed it, stabbed it, and then and when he... Well, that was Vidura. Was it? Yeah, so he got... Okay. Crushed. Well, whoever it was, somebody, didn't they get... It somehow came down to... Some great yeah, Yamraj cursed the game to punish him. Right. Yeah. And we should actually raise the age right. to thir- I thought it was 13. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, there is an age. I'm not sure in what age the age is, because there's different ages of men. And, uh, so, you know, different, different ages of men, there's, there's. There may be. Here again, I don't know this. I can't remember the specifics. But yes, there, up to a certain age, a child is not responsible for his activities. What about it's not like in our society where we can say, well, we're going to try him as an adult because yeah. he did such a horrendous thing. That's not the way the Lord's arrangement is as far as I understand. We still see children suffer, you know, and that's due to their previous life, that kind of comes from their previous life. And sometimes... Well, it's not nice to see, you know, when you see kids suffering, you just, you know... And that's like deal breakers for a lot of people. They see these types yeah. of things so that they reject that there's anything how could there be a god yeah now they seem to go on yeah would that be the same with the mentally ill Hmm? would that be the same with the mental ill are they free of uh, karmic reaction no they're suffering their karmic reaction they're They're not free from it they're in the middle of it right (laughs) you know (laughs) good point i think his question is are they creating more probably not no because if they don't have free will Again, free will. Mm-hmm. Our intent. Karma is always going on. It's every time you do breathe, move, walk, that's all karma. Right. So there's reactions for everything, and and so he's, he's talking about you know they don't they're not knowingly you don't see most of these people knowingly committing you know uh, sinful activities, especially premeditating. Uh, and and whether they have a moral life or an immoral life, if they don't have any comprehension of you know. Some person severely, you know, mentally handicapped. Obviously, they can't acquire knowledge about how proper human behavior would be. So, therefore, right. they're basically an animal in a human body. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Basically, an animal in a human body. Now, I heard want just to interject something here that's interesting. Uh, I believe it was well. It's happened many times. Happened a lot, of course. Uh, but sometimes a. Uh, uh, a soul was born into a Vaishnava family, a devotee family. And uh, recently uh, there was an incident in uh, Mayapur during the floods where a young, young girl, I forget, or young boy, they died. You'd say, well, why would Krishna take a devotee who was, who was born in the Holy Dom and who was given all facility to advance spiritually? And uh, I read something interesting that Hari Suri had written in relation to to this death, this drowning of the young child, sometimes 
a young child just has a little bit of karma to work off. And they may be built, born in a, in a Vaishnava family and given all facility. You know, they're, they're chanting, they're dancing, they're seeing the deity every day, they're taking prasadam. Their whole life has been devotional service. But then they die untimely. And sometimes it's just that they had to come back and they just had to burn off a little, a little bit of leftover karma so that they could progress in their spiritual advancement. Go on to, the, to, to Krishna. Uh, I recommend everybody try to uh, specifically study this chapter, this ninth chapter. I realize that it's hard to to, to follow the program that we've tried to establish. But in this ninth chapter, let's do it. Just go for it. Kartik's about coming up. That means try to read ten verses every day and try to read the purport to one of those verses in an entirety every day. This section of Bhagavad Gita is so ripe with transcendental knowledge that uh, uh, although I know we some of us, our schedule doesn't allow us to to follow the program week in and week out, but uh, let's try to do it for for this 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 chapter if we can. And the next verses, which we'll get a little deeper into next week, I mean, Krishna goes on: "Those who are not faithful in this devotional service cannot attain me, O conqueror of enemies. Therefore, they return to the path of birth and death in this material world." Uh, if we still have some tinge, if we don't have full faith that. There's nothing here, no matter how much... Our, the misconception that we can exploit and enjoy this world, if there's any tinge of that misconception remaining, then Krishna wants to make sure that we're fully convinced. So therefore, Krishna says in this third verse, those who are not fully faithful, not faithful in this devotional service, cannot attain me. They can't attain, we can't attain Krishna in this life. We can't finish up material activity, O conqueror of enemies. Therefore, they return to the path of birth and death in this material world. What a waste. Still having an exploited mentality. So, Krishna's speaking of that. Then, by me and my unmanifested form, this entire universe is pervaded. All beings are in me, but I am not in them. Again, back to your point, back to that lack of faith. Krishna's establishing here, at the beginning of this ninth chapter, the fact that, yes, you should understand that everything that you see is an expansion of my energy. It is, in effect, my energy, and I'm providing everything. But know that the way you interact with this energy, that is your independent nature. And I'm not affected by that. I'm not, I'm not subject to that. Don't hold me accountable for your nonsense. If you have a desire to exploit, then... I have given you facility in this world to enjoy, independent of me. I have these three energies. I have my internal, I have my margin, my marginal energy, which are you, all the living entities. Krishna's pointed this out in prior chapters. 
and I have this external material potency. It's potent. It's strong. It's like a cobweb. Now, if you go and get yourself hung up in this cobweb of the modes of my material energy due to your exploitive nature, I made it. But I'm not responsible. You have your independence. Now, in this ninth chapter, I'm giving you knowledge where you can properly use this independence and learn how to have a loving relationship to me. This is the most confidential knowledge. This knowledge that's going to teach you how to come to the highest platform of pure devotional service. Not mixed, not tinged. You come to this platform. But do not think that if you do not come to this platform, I'm responsible for your misdeeds. I'm the source of everything. I've created this material world. You can enjoy, yes. But if you want to come to the topmost platform of enjoyment, in the beginning of the chapter, these first two verses, it is everlasting and it is joyfully performed. This happiness, this relief from the miseries of material existence is guaranteed if you come to the platform of pure devotional service. If you don't understand how, and that's what Krishna is pointing out in, this, in the third and fourth verse, understand how, although everything is coming from me, I'm not responsible for the way this energy, you can interact with this energy because you have your own independence. You have limited independence and I'm aloof. I'm in it, but I'm not in it. Behold my mystic opulence. And that's what Krishna points out in the fifth verse. Behold my mystic opulence. This whole material energy is coming from me. I'm the source of everything that you experience within this material world. I'm responsible for the modes of material nature. And yet everything that is created does not rest in me. I created it, but it doesn't rest in me. Behold my mystic opulence. When we think of mystic opulence, what do we think? Beyond something that we can perceive with our own mind and senses. It's mystical. It's beyond our sense perception. Krishna is saying, don't try to figure this out with your puny little brain. This is my mystic power. You'll never understand unless I want you to understand. There'll come a time when Krishna will let you understand. Although I, I am the maintainer of all living entities and though I am everywhere, I am not a part of this cosmic manifestation. Whoa, talk about world jugglery. No, talk about mystic opulence. Hard to understand, hard to comprehend. For myself is the very source of creation. So it goes on next week and, and, and we'll go into these verses and try to get a, a, a
Because Krishna is going to speak his most confidential knowledge. And if we are not envious, if we can, we can comprehend this. Free of that exploitive mode, we can, we can enter into the mysteries of this heart of Bhagavad Gita. So are there any other questions? I have a question on text 8 at the end. When he says, and after creating different species of life, he has no connection with them. But somehow, there is a connection. Well, that's exactly what Krishna is, the point Krishna is trying to get across, that this is his mystic opulence. Yes, he's created them. Yes, he's, he's put all the demigods in charge of this material energy. But still, they're part of him, but they're not part of him. It's beyond our comprehension how Krishna's mystic opulence is working with, when it comes to this material nature. How he can be completely free, but completely involved. He's completely involved with his devotees, and he's completely free of those people that look the other way. Those people that look towards him, immediately he takes personal charge. Those people that don't look towards him, immediately they're... He's, it's not that he's not in their heart too, he's there, but he puts that urine... I'll let you... The, I'll let the nanny take care of you. So there is still a connection. There's a connection. He says the nanny, the the child is so much a rascal, the mother says, I'm not having anything to do and gives the child to the charge of the the maidservant. You, the modes, the the demigods, the energy, Krishna's external potency and all the, the living entities that are his pure servants who are put in charge of this material energy, he gives them charge of that rascal child. Just as you may give that charge of that rascal child to your nanny. I can't deal with her today. Just please. <laughs> Take her out of the room. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Anything else? Thank you so very much. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.